Well, here's the deal. Uh, I've been at Big Valley Grace for over 30 years. Um, been on the staff here for, for 29, and what that means is, is that I've preached lots of messages here at Big Valley Grace over the decades. Uh, some of them were in this building, some of them were in our youth building, some have been over at the school, lots of different locations that I've had a chance to preach the Word of God. But I can honestly say that I've never started a message this way, okay? I want to do a few impressions for you, okay? I want to imitate a, a few people for you. I've been working at this, and I just want to see whether you, you know, know who these people are. And I've got different generations here, okay? So the first one's this, okay? Who's this? <laughs> you, you dirty rat, you. What? <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, that's right. You got it. James Cagney right there, man. Nailed it, didn't I? I nailed it. <laughs> How about this? How about this one? Okay. I am not a crook. <laughs> Nixon, absolutely. Our president, one of our presidents. Whew. How about this one here? Okay, a little, little bit, you know, for you that are, you know, a little bit younger. I'll be back. <laughs> Come on. I nailed that one. That one all week I've been nailing. Just nailing it. Terminator. All right, this one you got to think back a ways. You got to got to kind of think back into the in, into the you know your brain here. Um, the dilithium crystals are breaking up on me. Say so they're breaking up on me. I can give you warp four and a wee bit more. <laughs> Nailed that one, didn't I? Brought you right back to Star Trek. It's like you were watching your your TV sets. Kinda bad reception, but you're watching your TV set. <laughs> All right, how about this one here? Not gonna debt. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. Thousand points of light. <laughs> who is that? Bush, absolutely. Or as someone said last night, Dana Carvey. That's who you, what you're talking about. Not gonna debt. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture. Thousand points of light. I saw this uh, program on TV this past week about a guy by the name of Rich Little who was without a doubt one of the greatest impressionists, maybe the greatest impressionist to ever live. And this program was all about how he would impersonate somebody. And it was really fascinating because he would get uh, audio tape of somebody, John Wayne or Johnny Carson or whoever it was he was going to impersonate. And he literally would spend, you know, you know, hundreds of hours just listening to audio tape of the person's voice. And then you saw him use his own voice and ah, he would find the octave. And then he would begin the process of trying to you know, you know, use the same inflections that that person would use. And then the next step was he would get all this videotape and he would begin to look at the mannerisms of that person, how they walked, their hands, those kinds of things, John Wayne, and, and he literally just spent, you know, hundreds of hours studying these tapes of these people, and then he put together the voice and their actions, and uh, those of us that have seen Rich Little or know anything about him, it was unbelievable how he could impersonate uh, somebody. And here's the deal, beloved. Our, our text today is going to challenge us to do something really unbelievable. The Bible is going to challenge us or, or command us to imitate the life of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, be imitators 
of God. Four words that really ought to just kind of make you stop right in your tracks if you're a Christian. If you, if you name the name of Jesus, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God fills our brother Paul and the Holy Spirit had him pin these words, you, Christian, are to impersonate or imitate me. That's pretty weighty, isn't it? This is the purpose for sanctification. But before I get into this, I wanna do a quick review for everybody, especially for those of you that are visiting with us today. I wanna make sure we're all on the, the same page. Uh, we're studying the book of Ephesians. That's what we call it. It was really a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians that were living in a town called Ephesus. And it was written about 30 years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I don't know how it all would have played itself out, but Paul was in a prison and he would have pinned the, the, the words to this letter. He would have folded it up somehow. He would have uh, used the technology of the day, uh, the United States Postal Service, and uh, put a stamp on it and mailed this letter Whoever the leader of the church was would have opened the letter and maybe he was sitting at a local coffee shop or something and he's reading this letter that the Apostle Paul had written. I'm sure that Sunday in church, and the church wasn't like this, but in church that Sunday, I'm sure that preacher got up or that pastor got up and said, hey, I've received a letter from Paul. And I'm sure he read the letter. Who knows, maybe uh, that pastor said, you know, I'm gonna take this letter and we're gonna look at it over the next couple months, sort of like we're doing 2,000 years later. You can basically break this letter down into three major parts. Uh, major part number one would be the wealth of the believer. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul reminds us all of a bunch of really cool things that God has blessed us with. Paul tells us that we're chosen he tells us that, that our lives have been redeemed from the pit of hell. He tells us that our sins have been forgiven, that we've been made alive spiritually. He tells us that God gave us his Holy Spirit to indwell us forever. He tells us that God gave his power, made his power available to us that we might live a, a God-honoring life. God gave us direct access to himself. God gave us an inheritance. God has prepared a, a, a home for you in heaven when you die. God has made you a member of his church. We're, we're brothers and sisters with, with each other. This is what you could call the wealth of the believer. Then when you get to chapter four, uh, the conversation shifts. After talking about all these great blessings that God has bestowed upon those of us that name his name, he then begins to talk about the walk of the believer, which is the second major part of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, verse one says, therefore, because of all of these great things that God has done for you, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Last week we looked at verse 30 which says, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. It's possible for us as believers to grieve the Holy Spirit within us. You, you, you don't lose your salvation. Your name's still written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you know Christ. You're still gonna go to heaven when you die. But we certainly all understand what's being said there in that if you're a parent 
I, I have three children, and there have been many times in their life when they have grieved me by how they lived. They've grieved me with the choices that they've made. I still love them, I still care for them, they're still a part of my family, I care deeply about them, but they've grieved me. And that is true for all of us that are parents, right? Well, our Heavenly Father is no different. We can grieve Him when we choose to live in a way that's contrary to His Word. He still loves us, He still cares about us. We're still going to heaven and all that. But we can certainly grieve God by the way we live. It matters to God how you live. God wants you to live in a way that honors Him. He wants you to live in a way that you know, pleases Him. Paul went on to give us a, a taste of what a worthy life looks like. He says it's a humble and gentle and patient life. It's a life that bears with one another. It's a life that works hard at keeping the unity. It's a life that puts to use the gifts that God has given them. It's a life of, that, that, that is growing and maturing in the Lord. It's a life that throws off the old sinful nature and has put on the new nature which is created to be like God, which is truly righteous and holy. And then you get to the third major part of Ephesians, which is the warfare of the believer. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And if God doesn't come back, we're going to get there in, in, a, in a few weeks. But today we're still in the second major part of Ephesians, the, the walk of the believer. And so let's read our passage for the day. Okay, Ephesians chapter 5, we're just going to look at two verses. Okay? The Word of God says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want you to look at those four words again. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. It sounds a lot like what Paul said in, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 8, where Paul said, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. That's just another way of saying be an imitator of God. I love what John said in 1 John chapter 2. He said the same thing. He just said it in a different way. Those who say they live in God, those who have put their trust in God, those who claim to be followers of Christ, should live their lives as Jesus did. In other words, you're, you're to be an imitator of God. I really love what Dr. MacArthur said. He said this, quote, the Christian has no greater calling or purpose than that of imitating his Lord. As God's dear children, believers are to become more and more like their heavenly Father. God's purpose in salvation is to redeem men from sin and to conform them to the image of his Son. That's really powerful. I think Dr. MacArthur really captured it. Now, um, I know that all of us have a long, long way to go as it relates to being like Jesus. In fact, none of us we'll ever get there, okay? We, we all have a, a long, long way to go. I don't care whether you gave your life to Christ yesterday or last weekend here or, or last month or last year or you have walked with Christ for, for decades. 
All of us have a long way to go in this endeavor to um, be imitators of, of God. But here's been my prayer. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last week. I, I don't care. I don't care if the last week of your life you haven't really imitated the Lord very well. Maybe the last month you haven't imitated him very well. Maybe the last year has been horrible. Maybe you think back and you go, you know, frankly, the last decade hasn't been very good. I, I, I don't care about what happened yesterday. What I care about is right now. And let's all make the commitment. If you know Christ as your Savior, let's just all make the commitment to go, look, whether we're nailing it or whether we got a ways to go or we've been blowing it, when we walk out of here today, let's let those four words rattle around in our brain. And let's make a commitment to go, man, I want to be a, a better imitator of, of God. Th that's what I would hope would happen as you leave here today. I don't want you to think about how yesterday was or last week was or last month or the last decade. Let's just make a commitment today. That we would go, you know what, that's what God has called me to do, is imitate him, to be transformed into his likeness, to live like he lived. And I, want, I, 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 I want to do that. Now here's the deal, it's absolutely impossible to imitate someone you don't know, right? <laughs> it's, it's impossible to be transformed in the likeness of Jesus if you don't know anything about Jesus, right? It's impossible to live like Jesus lived if you don't know anything about how he lived. So it's super important that you get to know him because it's the only way that you're going to imitate him. It's kind of the rich little thing. You have to listen to the tapes of how they sound and how they walked and all that. Otherwise, how do you imitate somebody you don't know? So let me share with you two things that I think will help you better imitate him, okay? Two things. Number one is this. You have to spend time with God honoring people. Or another word might be, you need to have role models in your life. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you should imitate me, Paul says, just as I imitate Christ. In other words, Paul was saying to these people and to us, let me be a role model for you. Look, the person you want to be like is Jesus. That's the goal, and you know, that's the picture you got on your refrigerator. You look at him every day and you go, that, that's who I'm called to be like. He's the one I'm to imitate. He's the one I'm supposed to you know, have my life transformed into. But it's also important that we have human examples of what that looks like. We all need that in our lives. For me here at the church, uh, Rick Thompson is just, he'd be embarrassed. He's not here. He's, he was here last night. He's, he's doing some stuff. For me, I just spend time with Rick, and I go, man, that's a guy that's following the Lord. That's a guy who looks like Jesus. He's not perfect. Paul wasn't saying that he was perfect here. Your human examples aren't going to be perfect. But we all need to have them. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said this to a young preacher. He said, Timothy, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers. Be a role model to all of them, whether they're young or old. And what you say, you know how you use your tongue, kind of words that come out of your mouth, and the way you live, and your love, your faith, and your purity. In other words, Paul was saying to Timothy, Timothy, you be a role model for those that you do life with. 
And I think that's true for all of us here. Mom, Dad, you're called to be a role model, obviously, for your kids, right? Grandmas, grandpas, you're to be a role model. Your, your spiritual leaders are to be a role model for you. We're to have role models in our lives, and none of us are going to do it perfectly. Mom, Dad, I know you blow it. Grandma, Grandpa, you blow it. I, I know. But all of us are to be role models in how we talk and how we live and our faith and our trust in the Lord. See, all those kinds of, of things. Once again, let me, let me share with you a thought from Dr. MacArthur. He said this. He said, quote, since all believers are imperfect, amen, they need examples of less imperfect people who know how to deal with the imperfection and who can model the process of pursuing the goal of Christlikeness. And he's right. We all need to have you know, God-honoring people in our lives that we can do life with who are real examples to us. So the first thing that will help you better, better imitate Jesus is to have good role models that, that we, we can look at. Now the second thing that'll help you is this, and this one's super obvious, and that's you have to spend time in God's Word, okay? The Bible, you have to read the Word. Gotta spend time just reading the words between these two leather-bound covers. Then you have to spend time studying the Word. And I gave you an illustration last weekend of what that looks like, and I, I gave you two things. Reading the Word, you know, you just read it. Just enjoy the Word of God for being the Word of God to you. Then you study it, and that, that, that imagine a number two pencil and a yellow pad of paper. See, see, a number two pencil and a yellow pad of paper kind of gives you the thought that you're studying it, you're reading it, you're looking at it. Maybe there's a question you have. Man, I'm not sure what that really means. I, I, I'm going to call the church. I'm going to call somebody in my life who knows the Word of God better than I do. What is God actually trying to say there to me? Hey, hey, this is an interesting thought here. I, I want to do a little bit more research in the Word of God and see what, how this kind of un, unpacks in, in the Scriptures. So you have to read the word, you have to study the word, and then you have to take it to another level, and that's you got to internalize, you got to memorize the word. And that's very difficult, and let me tell you why. The Bible says that your flesh, your Adamic nature, the, 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 you know, the, Paul said no good dwells in this. It is diametrically opposed to anything that has to do with God. Your flesh hates the word of God, and so when you try to memorize the word of God, wow, isn't it hard? The reason why it's hard is because your flesh doesn't want you to internalize this. It's weird how you can hear a joke and it's you gotta memorize just like that. But the word of God, be, be, oh man, imitators, imitators. It's just hard, isn't it? And because it's hard, you know what too many believers do? Ah, I'm not going to do it. Now, there's always that one guy we know who, you know, they can just look at a chapter of the Word of God and they got it memorized. Yeah? I hate, I hate those guys. You know, it's like, what? You just looked at it? Yeah, you looked at it. I got it memorized. And they just go, oh, man, that's just weird. I'm not like that. It takes some juice. It takes some energy to memorize the Word. 
You gotta, you gotta write it down on a three by five card. You gotta stick it on your mirror and when you're shaving, you're just looking at the Word of God. You take it and you, you put it in your car and every time you stop at a stoplight, you know, you just look at it. You put it in your pocket and every so often you pull it out and you just keep in your mind on God's Word. And before you know it, you gotta memorize it. It's always good maybe to have a partner, a buddy, your spouse, somebody that you say, hey listen, why don't we memorize the scripture? And here's the deal, if you've never memorized scripture before, Memorize one a month. One a month. That's all you got to do. And at the end of the year, you got 12 scriptures memorized. That's 12 more than you had before you started. You don't have to sit down and memorize one a day. You don't have to, you know, memorize one a week. Just pick one a month and start now and say, you know what? I'm not only going to read the word, I'm not only going to study it, but I'm going to actually really internalize it in a, in a weighty way and memorize it. And then you get to the last one, and that is you have to meditate on the word of God. And I always throw the phrase in there, you have to meditate on the Word of God. I would never suggest that you get alone and, you know, um, um, you know, clear my mind of everything, and I just want it to be this empty vacuum of nothingness, because when it becomes a, 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 an area of nothingness, Satan will fill it. I want you to meditate on the Word of God. This week, you know, I thought I was going to get through a bigger section of the word in my message today, but I read those first four words, be an imitator of God, and it's, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Be an imitator of God. And you, you just, you just, you can't, you can't help but just meditate on that. I, I want to spend some time right there. Be an imitator of God. God. How, how am I doing, God? Am I doing a good job at this, Lord? You're, you're meditating on the Word. So you're reading the Word, enjoying the Word, you're, you're studying the Word, you're memorizing the Word, you're meditating on the Word. And why? Because it's in the Word where we get to see uh, Jesus and how we lived. It's in the Word where we get to see the things that were important to Jesus. It's in the Word where we get to see how Jesus treated people. It's in the Word where we get to see the, the things that Jesus wanted us to do with our lives. It's in the Word where we get to see the things that Jesus wanted to, uh, us to avoid in our lives. It's in the Word where we get to see the life that we're called to imitate. Now let me quickly uh, give you a taste of what you find, what you find out about Jesus, the person you're called to imitate when, when you get into the Word. N number one, you, Jesus is forgiving. That means that you're to be forgiving. Jesus is kind. You're called to imitate him. Jesus is compassionate. He's encouraging. He's giving. He's caring. Jesus is gentle. Jesus is, is merciful. Jesus is holy. Jesus is righteous. And here, here's a question that you ought to just at least take a second and think about. How, how well are you doing? That sound like you? You imitating the Lord in those areas of your life? And by the way, that's not a comprehensive list of all the things about Jesus, just some things. And here's the deal. I looked at this list this past week, and uh, I went, hey, you know what? I think I'm nailing it in about four of them. 
But there were a few there where the Holy Spirit that indwells me as I looked at his word went, got some work to do there, Rick. You don't look, you don't look too much like me there. And I know a lot of you here, and I know a lot of you over in the, the venue and all that, and man, I, I, I know, I can look at some of your lives and go, wow, you're nailing it in some of these areas. But I wonder if, as you looked at this list, if you went, wow, here, here's some place that maybe I had to spend some time on this next week, this next month, whatever it might be. Do you have people in your life that live these attributes out in their lives? In other words, do you have people in your life that are examples of these things to you? Let, let, let me give you one that you probably haven't thought of. And I've already gotten some emails, got some last night, that's okay. Um, I found that Jesus is very intolerant. Jesus didn't tolerate sin. He didn't tolerate disobedience. He wasn't okay with it. And I wonder how many of you that are moms and dads tolerate sin in your home? Well, you know, it's my kids, and I, I don't want to put a wedge between me and my kids, you know. So I'll just let sin reign in my home. Huh. Jesus wasn't tolerant with self-righteous people. Jesus didn't tolerate being number two. Listen to what he said in Luke chapter 14. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Well, that's not very tolerant. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And Jesus wasn't saying that you had to hate your mother and father. Obviously, number five of the Big Ten is honor your father and your mother. All Jesus was saying here is, listen, I'm not going to be number two. I'm not okay with that. I'm not going to tolerate being number two in your life, Christian. I've got to be number one. And there's no wiggle room. It has to be me. And then... You know, your spouse, your children, whatever, your friends, whatever that, all those people. That, that, those are all distant seconds. Your parents to, to, to me. Now, without a doubt, probably the greatest thing about Jesus is that he's loving. Once again, our text says this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. As dearly loved children. I, I want to share with you uh, five important truths about God's love, and I think it's going to set up a beautiful time for us to love God back through our giving and love God back by remembering his life and his death, his burial, his resurrection, his soon coming. And the first one is this. I, I just want you to know and understand that, that God loves you. That's the first truth. You need to know that God loves you. Probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible says, for God so loved the world, and you can put your own name in there, for God so loved Rick Countryman that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, 
Now, Rick, if you would believe in him, you wouldn't perish, but you'd have eternal life instead. Will Rogers said, I never met a man I didn't like. Well, God never met a human being that he didn't love. You're loved by God. You're loved deeply by God. Psalms 145 says, The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and loving towards all that he has made. Beloved, God made you, right? And he's loving towards all that he has made, which means he loves you regardless of what you've done. I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what you did last week. I don't care what you did last year. God loves you. Some of you are here. You don't even believe in God. You use his name in vain. You mock God. And he loves you. He loves you. Once again, our text says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And if you're a believer in here, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to know and understand that you're loved by God. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you need to know what the truth is. Don't take my word for it. I'm showing you what the scriptures say. God loves you. And I know you don't believe in him. I know that. I, I, I know that you mock us. I know you, got, you say things. I, 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 used to, I used to not believe in God. I used to mock people. <laughs> I get it. But you need to know you're loved by God. You're deeply loved by God. This was such an important truth that Paul wanted the Ephesians to know and understand this, and he also wants you to understand it. L listen to what he prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, I pray that you and all of God's holy people will have the power to understand the greatness of Christ's love. How wide, how long, how high, how deep that love is. Christ's love is greater than anyone could ever know. Beloved, this side of glory, maybe the other side of glory, we're never going to be able to comprehend just how much God loves us. But Paul does say, but, but I pray that you'll be able to know that love. But he knew. <laughs> Man, to try to, you know, wrap our minds around God's love is a difficult thing. But he prayed that you'd really get it that you begin to understand just, just how deep and awesome and wide and you know, all of that that God's love is. Now, for those of us that are Christians, God clearly states that we're to imitate him. We're, we're also to be lovers of people. We need to care about others, don't we? Number two, the second thing I want to share about God's love is this. God has always loved you, and he will never stop loving you. The Bible says this in Psalms 89, God's love will last for all times. See, God's love is way different than human love. God's love lasts forever. Human love doesn't. And if you need proof, just look at the divorce rate. <laughs> divorce rate proves that human love doesn't always last forever. I've done a lot of weddings where people have walked down in the little dresses and the little outfits, and man, they loved each other. They loved each other a lot. And now they hate each other. 
And you need to understand that human love isn't like God's love. Human love can run out. All of us, when we were younger, right? We were in high school, man. We had someone we loved. I was in love. I'm thinking of a gal right now. I was in love with her. And we had the names of our kids all picked out. <laughs> uh, we hate each other now. It's weird. Um, I'm just kidding. I, I, don't, I haven't seen her in 30 years. But the point is, is that the love ran out. You know what I'm saying? Love doesn't last. The Beatles said all you need is love, then they broke up. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. Human love is different. Human love doesn't last forever. God's love does last forever. Some of you had a, a, a mom or a dad who blew you off. The, the parents' love didn't last forever. But God's love's not like that. God's love will last forever. You know, let me give you a hard, cold fact here. For those of you that are married and you're enjoying love, your spouse loves you and you love your spouse, there's going to come a moment when your spouse is going to die. Someone's going to die first. And that love that you have from your spouse will be gone. But that doesn't mean God's love is gone. See, God's love is different than human love. He loves you, always has loved you, and he always will love you, always. God said this to the, the great prophet Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That, that is way different than human love. Thank the Lord for human love. I'm thankful for human love. I know you're thankful for human love, but don't, don't miss God's love for us. And, and, and somehow equate it. He, he loves you, always has. God will never love you any more than he does right now, but he'll also never love you any less than he does right now. In just a little bit, we're gonna love God back by, by giving him a, a, an offering. We're gonna say, God, I love you back. We're gonna honor him. We're gonna worship him through, through our giving. And here's the deal. If you put something in that bag, God isn't in heaven going, yeah, right on, man. I sure love you now. And if you don't put something in there, God doesn't go, that's it, you know. I don't love you. I don't love you as much as I could. See, that love is a conditional love, and that's kind of the love we tend to experience most of the time in our lives. God's love's not like that. If you know Christ as your Savior, let me tell you something, he loves you every bit as much as today as he did yesterday or tomorrow. And it doesn't matter what you do. You can grieve him. When my children grieve me, I don't, man, Kate, I love you less now. I'm grieved. I still love him. So you can grieve God, the Holy Spirit in you, but he loves you. Romans chapter 8 says this, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below indeed. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. And that includes your sin. 
If, if your sin, Christian, could separate you from God's love, we're all in trouble. Big trouble. Now that's not a, a license to just go sin and grieve the Holy Spirit within us. That ought to be a motivating factor for us to want to live a life that imitates God. That he so loves us like that, are you kidding me? See, the reason why my kids love me, and I know my kids love me, is because they know I love them. I've treated them in such a way that, man, they want to honor me. For a lot of kids, the only reason why they honor their parents is just afraid of them. It has nothing to do with love. And as soon as they get out of the home, man, they're gone, man. My kids, I know, love me because they have experienced my love, my grace, mercy, compassion. And it's what motivates them to want to live a life that honors me. See? Number three. The third thing I want to share about God's love is this, is that God proved that he loved you. Yes, he told us he loved us, but he proved that he loved us. Romans chapter five says, but God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, the second person of the Holy Trinity came and lived this unbelievable life for us died a horrific death for us, was resurrected for us. He's coming back for us again, even though we were sinners. The great Woodrow Kroll said this. He said, quote, if people say that they love you and yet they fail to demonstrate love, you have every reason to question their sincerity. Look, you, you, you can tell somebody, I love you, man. I love you. I love you. But if they don't demonstrate it, if there's no actions really to back it up, then you have every right to go, you know what, uh, talk is cheap. Anybody can say it. And yes, God said it over and over and over again, but he also backed it up. And that while we were but sinners, we didn't care about God, we didn't believe in God, he still sent his son for us. The Bible says this in John, uh, 1 John chapter four, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, here it is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Ephesians chapter two says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Yes, the Bible says over and over again that God loves you, but the Bible doesn't stop there. The Bible then tells us about this God who showed us how much he loved us. When he went to a cross, <laughs> and he died for a guy like me. 
I, I, I'm, I'm pretty acquainted with my sin. Before I gave my life to Christ, and even after. And God said, Rick, I love you. I always have loved you and I always will love you. And I proved how much I love you. I, I, God knew how crummy my life was. But he still sent his son for me. Proved how much you loved me. Number four, and this one's uh, super practical, and that is God's love will carry you through difficult times. God said this to the great prophet Isaiah. He said, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, don't be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I've called you by name. You're mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulties, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Beloved, some of you are in deep despair right now, aren't you? Some of you are in deep trouble right now. Some of you are under deep stress right now. You've got some deep problems. Maybe they're emotional problems, physical problems, financial problems, whatever. And if this is where you're at right now, you need to understand that God's love is deeper than all of your despair or your troubles or your stress or your problems or whatever. No matter what it is you're facing right now or in the future, God's love will carry you through it. Corey and Betsy Tinboom were, were Christians who lived in the Netherlands during World War II, and they hid Jews in their home to protect them from the Germans that were trying to throw them all into concentration camps. Well, one day, the two of them got arrested, got busted, and they were taken to a, a concentration camp. And Corey came out of it alive, but her sister was, was killed. And they made a movie of their lives, and at one point in this movie where they had seen, you know, one horrible atrocity after another, Corey says to Betsy, quote, this place is the pit of hell. And you can imagine what it was like to be in a concentration camp. And Betsy said, quote, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper. And maybe, maybe Betsy thought back to what God said through the prophet Isaiah. God's love will carry you through whatever it is that life throws at you. So, so we've looked at four great encouraging truths concerning God's love. In fact, I want us to say them out loud together, okay? So here we go, n number one, here we go, one, two, three. God loves me. Number two. God has always loved me and has never stopped loving me. Number three, God proved that he loved me. And number four, God's love will carry me through difficult times. Now before I give you number five, I want us just to stop and have a chance to love God back. Honor the Lord with our wealth, worship him. God doesn't ask for it all he could, it's all his. But he says, I do want you to honor me with the first part of your wealth. And we call this moment the moment of joy, and I'm gonna ask our hosts and hostesses to come forward. And there ought to be great joy in this room.
as we respond to just a small little taste of how much God loves us. Father, thank you, Lord, for this moment. May there be great, great joy as we just kind of say thank you for how amazing your, your love is to us. And I pray this in your name. Amen.